This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Wow, that and was you're sultry. you're listening to Brenda Vaccaro Presents, TDPS <laughs> Presents. I wonder if anybody knows who Brenda Vaccaro is. Still. Anyway, sorry, I'm Christopher Rice, and you're listening, let me catch myself up here, to TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric. <laughs> <laughs> the other night, I was posting episodes, and I was listening to the end of one of our episodes, and it was so oh chaotic. It was so... I, it was really funny. I was like, wow, we're that's pretty funny. It was so... But it was completely out of control. Out of control. So I, I filmed it. I play, I was playing it on my computer, and I filmed a clip of it and sent it to Eric. And what was your response I like? I sent him a gif of a train wreck. <laughs> a train going off a cliff. Yes. Right. That was kind of how it felt. That's how it feels every day here at TDPS. That's we right. are a train wreck podcast. And that is not to say... One of the things we said right from the start was that this podcast was going to be about as much about us learning to be, to do a podcast as it was going to be about whatever we were allegedly talking about. Whatever we were allegedly talking about. The podcast thing was easier. When we were doing a live weekly streaming internet show, that was, that was, we had to learn how to do a radio show on the internet. That was Plus we had to invent podcasting because it didn't really exist at that point. Mm -hmm. It was, everything about that was, it is, one of the great regrets in my life is that we did not film the entire process of getting that show on the air because I think that could have been become our career. Yeah. We could have become reality stars from just that because it was it was unbelievable. It was, it was the stuff would happen and I would think if I wrote this or if I did this, people would think this is too unbelievable. We would hire somebody to do something and they would come in and tell us off and cuss us out and refuse mm-hmm. to do it. And it would be like I'm sorry, aren't we paying you to actually do this? I'm like, not going to name too many names. I'm not going to name any names here, but we were working with someone as a consultant, not Brandon, who we love and adore and has been with us ever since. Brandon was but like the salvation. We were working with somebody as a consultant, and they it became clear that they were sending us like their worst employees that they didn't want to deal with to come fix the issues we were having. And once we figured that out, it, we, it was a new day here at TDPS, and we got on, on the air. We're talking about The Dinner Party Show, which you can find all the old episodes of at thedinnerpartyshow.com. It's a, it's a separate podcast now, but and it was it's, live. It's, and it's very fun. Celebrity yeah. interviews, and we did all sketch of this comedy. sketch comedy. It was really, we had a ball doing it. it yeah. was, once we got it up and running, but getting it up and running oh was God. like... We had to invent radio. It yeah. was just the most insane. Yeah, it was insane. We were we were utilizing something that at the time was it was a streaming component for the websites that were used by radio stations, 
and the radio stations were not actually excited about it because it didn't count towards their ratings. And I knew this from working, doing some gigs in radio, terrestrial radio. So there wasn't the support for, it was going to be our main distribution method, and there was not the support for it, the tech support that we needed to really... And we were being told at the time that radio was going to go on the internet, that radio mm -hmm. was, as we knew it, terrestrial radio was over, and right. it was going to be moving to the internet, which turned out to not be entirely true, and podcasting was ultimately what we ended up doing, but at the time, there was no such... Podcasting was you recorded stuff on your phone and posted it on your Facebook page. That was about as sophisticated we as podcasting was. We didn't want to be a podcast because no. we were trying to get people to, to make an appointment to do a live weekly show. We had celebrities here in the studio live, and we were like, come join us for the dinner party. And so we were like, a podcast? What's that? Right. We were trying <laughs> to put together numbers, and then we couldn't get any advertising support because yeah. they didn't understand... What they understand now, that now, you know, like millions of people have listened to those ep episodes collectively. Mm. But in the moment, for the one live presentation, it wasn't that big a number. And so they didn't they didn't get that placing an ad yeah. would reach all of those other people who would li listen to it later. It was, yeah, mm -hmm. it was a different world. Why are we talking about this? I got We were talking on about this. the train wreck life of the, the train. <laughs> We were talking being about on this podcast. So if you're just joining us, we're a train wreck, which is not to say that we're basement dwellers who like to talk about horrible train wrecks, which is a podcast I would totally listen to. Sounds really fascinating. I'm fascinated. I would at least listen to one episode. I don't know that, you know, two would happen, but that would be up to the podcasters, but sure. We are um, continuing a conversation that we started last week about a pretty well-known uh, true crime story, the grinder killings, as they're often called, the murders of Stephen Port in the U.K., we talked about a documentary which is available on YouTube here in the U.S. called How the Police Missed the Grinder Killer. And today is a true crime movie time. We do these true crime pairings all the time. This is a limited series, three episodes, that for us here in the U.S. is called The Barking Murders. But for some of you, it's going to be called Four Lives. We don't know why they have different titles in different markets, but Four they do. Four Lives! Right? Four and Lives! So that's where we are. That's Sally Field from uh, Soap Dish. Thank you, because I didn't know. I ruined Four Lives! <sighs> Um, so that's, I, I've said all I need to say. Eric Quinn, take it away. I like the rules and reading well, things. Well, it's, it's, it is our first, um, true crime movie time special edition because it's not actually a movie. And what we do is the special editions when we do like a limited series. And so it's, it's kind of both. It's but, kind of a new hybrid. But not a scripted series. We, we usually, when We've we do a documentary done, yeah. series in one episode, we call it a special edition. We're having a branding crisis is what's happening. Well, people. we're just doing something new. I'm not in crisis here. Christopher I'm can talk crisis. to our I'm in crisis. crisis counselor. I, I like the, we have a crisis counselor? It's right next to the hand cream room. <laughs> <laughs> is that hand cream or no? Because you, you put it on your face, so I hope it's chapstick. That and was not chapstick. Hand cream. Okay, thank God, because things have just been higgledy piggledy I mean, around it's been here, all over the place around here. Okay, so we started this conversation last week. We did the um, the 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 it was what was it called the um how they missed the, there was a BBC special that was aired on YouTube. How the police missed the grinder killer. I just yeah. said that you really just went off to check in with your own. Notes I don't pay much attention period. to you. It's like he's talking about rules. Oh, uh, he's doing rules again. Um, I'm just trying to get the train back on the track now. Um, maybe that was my um, train sound. So we've now watched the the series, and so I think the the place for me the point of departure the reason for doing this is to compare. 
the facts of the the more factual yes. reporting with the dramatization. And so, do we start there or? I, I think this is where we should start. We should start with the fact that the story that we saw last week was one of epic police incompetence. That four incredibly suspicious deaths happened. The most suspicious deaths I've ever almost seen. Almost in a row. And the police treated them all like basic overdoses, even though these young gay men were showing up, posed clearly in a in a cemetery in uh, Barking, which is in East London. If I'm, you've lived in London, so yeah, you're our London consultant. I would say it's northeast. Okay. A lot of hand gestures that you can't see at home. Right. The map I'm of pointing, London. I'm looking at the map of London, and right. I'm thinking it's sort of that way. So I think it's sort of northeast London. I'm yeah. not an expert. That would be my guess. Feel free to correct me if you're from that part of the world, but I think that's my sort of notion of where it where it's located. My, As I said last week, and I will say it is even more prevalent this week, my favorite, the most British part of this entire series is that every family member, when being contacted about losing a loved one by the police, their first reaction is to a man barking. What was he doing in barking? Right. So I'm not sure anybody's ever been to barking, even in London, because it seems like not a thing to do. Apparently not, but... I wonder if it's the source of barking mad. Oh, that's a good question. Party people, do some research for us. Come to the Dinner Party Show's Facebook page and, and tell us, did you, was barking the source of barking? Man, I just thought it was always dog. I just thought so too, but, yeah. you know, like mad dog. So I guess that I could be the turn, case, but barking mad. a little bit. You're very loud. You're, you're in my ear very loud. I'm loud. Everybody's Christopher loud. can hear me, and so it's problematic. I'm getting older, and things are louder than they used to be. <laughs> I wanted mostly to listen to me. Yes. Okay, so to summarize what we talked about last week, all of these young men uh, met on the internet a gentleman named Stephen Port. Um, all of their deaths were highly suspicious. It was pretty clear, unbelievably suspicious, to everyone that Stephen Port had drugged these men, and it was later revealed he had also raped them and uh, moved their bodies. Uh, three of them, at least. The first young man was was uh, drugged and killed in his apartment, and Stephen Port simply left him outside on the stoop, called the police, and claimed he had come home from a late shift. Just found him there, and just found him there. Um, the police did a really cursory investigation, which would have turned up. Eventually, it did turn up that the two of them had actually met online. Then they accepted at face value Stephen's account that, yeah, we met for sex, but he was doing drugs and he overdosed. And I thought I was letting him sleep it off in his apartment. And I came home from the late shift and he was dead. So I dumped him outside. They actually believed this story. And because they did, Stephen Port was able to go on and murder three additional men. And the other thing that is also the case, and while they didn't really go into it in depth, and I don't know if this was also happening along the way, was that he was a serial rapist. That mm-hmm. the the deaths were actually the exception. That what he was what he liked to do was drug them until they were unconscious and then rape them. Mm-hmm. That was his thing. And sometimes they died, and so he would ditch their bodies. That was sort of my impression. Jesus. So I don't know how many people were also raped right. after. Um, Anthony died. Well, I think they included that at the end of the documentary because they throw in the detail that in addition, he eventually is 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 uh, stands trial for four murders and an additional uh, seven sexual assaults that they were able to prove. So that, I guess that suggests that seven living young men came forward when the headlines broke about Stephen Port and said, I was sexual, drugged and sexually assaulted. I guess so. Thing. And they said, it, the, by the end of it, it was a total of 29 charges that he was convicted of, of rape and murder and collectively. Yeah. You know, like, so 
I, there was a lot going on because yeah. some of it was dosing with intent, right? Like, which apparently is a crime there, and maybe it's a crime here. I don't know. Like, some of it. We had an issue in. It reminded me we had yeah. an issue in West Hollywood of ultimately it was somebody who was doing crystal meth with, I think, primarily with um, prostitutes um, who he was hiring, and then they would overdose at his house, and he would, to his credit. If you want to give anybody credit for this sort of thing, unlike Stephen, he would be the one who called the ambulance to try and save them. And sometimes he did and sometimes they died. And so eventually he was arrested for running a drug den. And I was like, well, why did we wait if that was a crime? Right. It was, was a hugely controversial case because all the young men were black, and apparently this gentleman, gentleman, I don't want to call him, his kink was to shoot them up to the point of almost death. That was how he explained it, and everyone's like, well, that's like almost an intent to kill somebody. That's I mean, really, you were killing that's really, these men. Un, that's really terrible. But... And he was a he was a political donor in the in the Okay, of, and the, I just want to say this about that. He had apparently donated to some political campaigns yeah, and right. so they made it like that was who he was. He was this big wig in the Democratic Party. Yeah. Nothing could have been further from the truth. He right. had donated to some campaigns. Uh, you know, B.B. Rebozo donated to some campaigns, but he was actually a mobster, I think, right, or yeah. some kind of criminal. So I don't know that just the fact that you've donated means that that's your career, that he's this bigwig in democratic politics. Yeah, they they tried to link that up with the fact that he had worked in um, conservative politics as a young man, I think, before he had come out. And, and then it was like— yeah, it was really – but again, it was this case of the police were not looking closely enough at what was really going on here. Well, you the know? thing was, like, why is this already not a crime? Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, when they ultimately arrested him and they said it was for running a drug den, and I was like, well, why didn't we do that the first time this happened? Why did we have to wait until yeah. – there were several young men. Until like two more or three. men died. Yeah, it was terrible. Two or three men. But it wasn't – but he was not doing the Stephen Port thing of – hauling them out and dumping them, he was actually calling 911 mm. and getting them, I guess, resuscitated sometimes, but not every time. And no. Like, that's, I don't know. I, it may again be a case of the reverse homophobia where they're trying not to be... To offend the, to the offend, one doing the dosing when, in fact, they're committing murder. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, like, sex and drugs is a part of the... Uh, what they have come to perceive as being gay, yeah. which, you know, I would be willing to bet that Pete Buttigieg does not, you know, spend a lot of time having chem sex with mm -hmm. people who come, you know, who he meets online. Right. I just, like, I just think it is such a ridiculous p portrait of, of gay people. I'm sure that it is gay people, and I think that's fine, but I would be willing to bet it's probably much bigger number of straight people who mm -hmm. are having chem sex. Like, as I'm always fond of saying, there are 8 billion people in the world and gay people had nothing to do with it. I find that straight people don't brand those things as aggressively as the gay people do when they do them. They don't necessarily, or they give them a different name that isn't quite as catchy and doesn't catch on. Like, chem sex has this sort of infectious ring to it. Well, you know? we're just much cleverer yeah, and more creative. No, that's not true either. But I just, it, it seems to... You know, in both the case in West Hollywood and to the lesser, to a certain degree here, to have been a part of the problem mm -hmm. in in investigating these crimes in a, an yeah. effective manner. Right. 
I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash thedinnerpartyshow. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'd like to take a moment to congratulate my co-host and producing partner, Christopher Rice. He's got not one, but four new books coming out in 2022. But today, I'd like to tell you about one in particular, a standalone thriller called Decimate. It's the terrifying story of what happens to our kitchen here at the studio um, when I ask Christopher to make the tea. Y- yeah, no. When I said improvise the promo, I didn't say you could make shit up. I am not making this up. Look at that kitchen. Okay. Hi, party people. Decimate is actually a thriller about telekinesis and near-death experiences. The page-turning tale of a woman who becomes convinced her brother is being held hostage by a supernatural force following his death in a fiery plane crash. It has nothing to do with tea or our kitchen, and you can pre-order it on Amazon now. And while it is spine-tingling and terrifying, it is nothing compared to what I'm going to have to order off of Amazon to clean up that kitchen. Will you shut up about tea and our kitchen? Oh, I never shut up about tea. So it seemed like the question was, we watched the documentary last week, how close to the documentary was this series going to be? And I would say it would have been impossible for it to be any closer. It was even last week when we were talking about the um, the true crime BBC film, um, you know, the, the documentary. It was impossible to separate it out from having seen because they were so incredibly close. The cast of this is really... These are some pretty major names mm-hmm. in the cast, and I think that was because this has become an advocacy project. Mm-hmm. I think that's what got this made. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that um, this must have been a pretty big deal there as well because it ultimately is a story of police incompetence. Right. And and I think because that was the story, there is very little variance between this and the other. There was I mean, none. None. There was nothing. In fact, I watched yet another um, true crime documentary about this just to see if there was if if it might have a different point of view. And and what, how was that? I didn't watch that one. What was your experience of watching that? It was one from um, a series that we've done the. The world's most evil killers. Yes, I think is the right. name of it. We did a, a, a the episode that chilling episode where the where I swear to God I think we found the person who killed Billy. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a different a story. Note. Yeah, very different story. But um, I'll have to follow. I'll just up say on that. if you want to know what we're talking about, go look for the Billy Newton episodes in our archive. This is a real unsolved murder here in uh, Los Angeles that we've been talking about. Uh, for uh, several years now. For a couple of years now, and, and it, uh, it is. And we saw a, a, one of the episodes of this particular show, um, yeah. World's Most Evil Killer. There was... A, Patrick Kearney is, is what the, it is. And yeah. it was a description of what happened, what appears to have happened yeah. to, uh, to Billy. And I just... Yeah. I, anyway, so it's that series. They okay. did an episode of... from There was an episode of that series... Um, about Stephen Port, and 
the difference was the point of attack. Mm. They mm. actually started with the fourth murder. Hmm. They started with Jack and the sister's investigation and how. But then they, you know, like it it meets up. But it was more um, like it was more about um, the killer than it was about the victims. Mm. The um, the um, both the BBC special that we watched and this series were about the victims' families. Right. And the um, and the bungled police investigation. The other was more about Stephen Port's right. process and the investigation of him and capturing him. That was because, as is often the case with those things, um, one of the things that none of them did, which I um, am very delightful, delighted about, is there was no effort made to try and depict the murders. Yes. Yeah. I was right. In this series, the the boys were found leaned against the wall, and that was. You know, and there, it was a mystery what had happened to them, and the families were reacting, because what the the it really did point out how massively the families were the victims of these crimes. Right. One of the things you started to bring up last week, mm-hmm. which um, came up again this week, is one of the things that the son of a bitch did. Mm-hmm. Apparently, though he won't cop to it and they can't prove it, and he stole all of their phones. Right, he stole the victims' phones, and when the families ask the cops to track their phones, the cops say it's too expensive, which is like, oh, wow, okay. But he had them. Yeah, but he had them. He was keeping them. And one of the things he did was, like, he, to one of the families, he texted them all of these shitty things. Mm-hmm. The first boy. Right, Anthony. Um, Anthony. Yes. Text his mother. She were a terrible mother. You did a horrible job. I hated you. I never really loved you, which we see in this dramatized series, which was not covered in the documentary last week, even though we did meet the mother. Right. And and it's that that level of mind game, while it was in service to a, a, a cover story that the killer was putting out, it's also a form of sadism, I think, all on its own. I think he was getting off on the power oh, trip. Oh, yeah. He was yeah. absolutely... They, a big part of what his whole game was was... May, managing the story around these murders, convincing because the police were apparently willing to believe anything he said. Mm-hmm. He was convincing, like he blamed the third victim for the second victim's murder and tried to create a scenario where right. the third victim had killed himself because he felt so guilty about killing the second victim, right. even though he had killed both of them. And I mean, it was there was just this entire fantasy that he had constructed around. Um, the deaths of these poor boys. Yeah. Uh, it was, yeah, he was really monstrous in those terms. And so I think that keeping the focus on the families right. was the way to go with this because they really were victimized as much or more than the boys were. The boys lost consciousness and never regained it. I I, I think that's terrible, but it doesn't seem to be nearly as brutal as the years that the families went through. And just horrible. Um, one of the, the the one of the victims, Daniel Whitworth, I believe, who had a fake suicide note planted on him, the one you just referenced, where it, he falsely takes responsibility for having killed one of the other victims that Stephen Port drugged and murdered and left in the cemetery. Um, that family was going to suicide support groups, trying to accept this verdict that they didn't want. Well, it wasn't really technically a verdict, but it was a right. declaration by because the police. Because they had been told that that yeah. was what happened and that there was really no point in investigating because there was no evidence to the contrary, yeah. which was 
absurd. One of the people who did not participate at all in any of the documentaries who is depicted in the, the series was Daniel's partner. That was something that was in this series that was not in the documentary at all, which is that Daniel Whitworth was in a committed monogamous relationship with another man when he went online and met Stephen Port for a furtive rendezvous. And that was how Daniel's partner discovered that his uh, – I don't think they were married. I think they were engaged or they were talking about it. They're shown in this series as talking about – Well, they about, were buying a house. Yeah. They yeah. were very much – they had known each other for years. They were like childhood friends. In fact, one of the things that happens in the series is the partner is depicted as going to Daniel's family. Mm-hmm. And interacting with them right. about Daniel's death, not his own family as much as Daniel's family, because they were he was that much a part of their family. And I'll say this about just as a before we lose the thread on this, the the casting of the stepmother of Daniel's stepmother, based on what we saw of the real woman, it was like she was in the same clothes. It was it was like yeah, it was it a was, remarkable it likeness. Was, it was like, pretty astonishing. Yeah. I also was unclear on where Daniel, what happened to Daniel's father? Like, did did I miss it? Did he pass away or something? Because he was not in any of the documentaries. He was in the he was depicted in the the series in the scripted series, but not in any of the documentaries. I got the impression that he was just more camera shy and let the stepmother make the lead because because in the dramatized series she's depicted as being the more sort of forward one. She's really engaging with, and he's sort of broken by grief and quieter and sort of talking under his breath. Yeah. That was the impression I got. So like he may because, have just been too quiet to be on camera and not wanting exactly. to participate because I don't the boyfriend was obviously fine and and whatever but the, he just seemed a little older and might have passed away but you didn't know, I thought did I miss that or no, something? But you're didn't. such a copious note taker. I figured you would know for sure. I, I yeah. think just to be just to sort of re to rack a little bit here. The shorthand is we're talking. The series is about the serial killer Stephen Port. Port if you didn't yes. listen to last week's show, mm -hmm. um, his mo was to hook up with young men online, mm -hmm. drug them and rape them, and in some cases, kill them. Right. I'm not sure that the killing was as intentional as that he was just a murderer. What he got off on was raping unconscious, right, drugged people, um, killing them. Mm, that was an inconvenience to him. Mm -hmm. um, the the first that we learn of him killing is, um, and they they said in um, at least one of the documentaries that I watched that they felt like the police felt like there were more victims mm. that had died, but they just weren't aware of them. Right. Um, particularly if they were depending on that particular police force, um, he killed Anthony. Um, what was Anthony's last name? Well, I think it was Wahlberg. Let me go back and Watlick. check. Watlick. Uh, no, it was Anthony Walgate. Walgate. Yes, Anthony Walgate. Walgate. Killed Anthony Walgate, who he had hired as a, an escort. He was actually a design student, but he made extra money mm -hmm. doing online escorting right. at the time, which put him in harm's way. And he propped his body outside his door and called the police and said, there's a dead guy on my front yeah. step. You should probably come check on that. Then the second one was an immigrant named Gabriel. Gabriel Kavari. He was a Slovakian immigrant who was sort of couch surfing in the UK and uh, ended up meeting John online and using his spare room. And uh, Stephen, excuse me. John was his first friend in the UK with whom he lived for six right. weeks and had a positive relationship. And then he tells John, I've got another opportunity. I'm going to stay. 
same right. with this in guy, the, Stephen. In the series, he's depicted as saying that John had only offered him the room for two, week, two weeks, and it had already been six. And so he felt like uh, he needed to find a better place, yeah. which I guess that's probably true. The It was so close. It cleaved so close to the story. I tended to take the word of the scripted series. Right, right. Anyway, he was renting the sofa at Stephen's house and was dead in pretty short order. Uh, left leaning against a wall in a nearby He's the first churchyard. body to show up in the churchyard. Right. And, yeah. and was discovered by this poor woman, um, Barbara. Barbara Denham. And I'll say this. I watched the series first and the documentary second, even though we discussed them in reverse order. And when I was watching the series, I thought, there is no way the same woman walked her dog and found – this is just ridiculous. And sure enough, when I watched the documentary, it was the, it was the same, same woman, woman and they discovered all of these bodies, talked about – to the police about how weird it all was and was dismissed. And, and the told, police yeah. wouldn't turn up for anybody. Yeah. Um, so Gabriel – and then Stephen lied about it. He created a cover story with a neighbor who had met the roommate right. and like – just really was, you know, but nobody did anything. Yeah. Um, the police, the only thing the police did investigate was it became clear, um, owing to the friends um, of of Anthony. Um, Walgate. Walgate. Yeah. First um, victim, yes. That, um, that he was meeting up with Stephen and they went back to him and proved that he had lied to them. So that was really the only thing that they were, the police were upset about and charged him with. Yes. Nothing else about this seems suspicious. The, and he only serves two months in prison and the minute he got out, he hooked up with and killed Daniel Whitworth. And so it's like, yeah. Oh, I thought he killed Jack. I thought he killed Daniel before he went in and killed oh, Jack as soon as he got out. I, I, maybe I'm, maybe you're right. The third victim yeah. was Daniel Whitworth, who was in a relationship and beloved by his family and apparently met uh, Stephen on um, a dating app. Right. Daniel Whitworth was the one who was in a relationship, as you just said. Right. Yes, exactly. Met yeah. him on a dating app and never came home. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Are you sick of doing promos for my new books yet? That depends. Are we at the beach? Yes, we're at Sapphire Cove, the fictional Southern California resort featured in my new gay romance series coming in 2022. This is alarming. When did we go outside? You were transported by the powerful prose of C. Travis Rice. That's my new pen name devoted to steamy and emotional tales of romance between men. Yeah, no, that's not it. I was about to eat a sandwich in the studio, and now I'm being harassed by seagulls. Brandon, get rid of the seagulls, please. Oh, that's much better. Now I have to pee. First, pre-order your copy of Sapphire Sunset, the first installment in the Sapphire Cove series, which goes on sale March 1st, 2022, from Blue Box Press, when a new member of the resort security department falls hard for the nephew of the wealthy family that owns the place, sparks fly, and sexy scandal ensues at Sapphire Cove. Uh, yeah, could you pre-order that for me? I'm going to run to the little podcaster's room. Brandon! Come get this seagull! I can't help it if my writing sets the scene. I know what I'm gonna set if someone doesn't come get this seagull. Where'd you get that sandwich? Sapphire Sunset, the first book in the Sapphire Cove series from C. Travis Rice. Now available for pre-order. Eric. 
Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? So Daniel met Stephen on a dating app and was left leaning against the same wall and discovered by the same dog walker. Yeah. And then he went to prison. You're right. And you're lying right. to the police. You're right. Yes. Um, who didn't see that he anything else, didn't manage to connect up any of these crimes, even though it would have been really child's play to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, they just looked at his computer, which they actually had. And they didn't look at it. Anthony Walgate's mother, as we talked about last week, said, I will show you my son's computer and you can compare it to Stephen Port's computer. This is the very beginning before he's murdered anybody else. And the police refused. They said it would be too expensive to analyze their computers, even though they had the... uh, Just, Just, yeah. It's It's just the most inexcusable failure of the police that I've seen since that story we did about that woman who got arrested for being attacked in her own home. Yeah. And where was that? In California? I don't remember this. Which one was this? This was the, the it was a 2020 episode where the, Oh, the Gone Girl case. Right, yes. where they accused her of lying about, went on television and yes. accused her of lying to the police and said she was whatever. She had been literally abducted. Yeah. Uh, by a murderer from her own home. And in the same way, yeah. somebody else was abducted and I think maybe even killed yes. um, afterwards by the same person who they wouldn't believe had abducted her anyway. Anyway. This is not since that police corruption case if I've been quite that angry at uh, the police about because I actually think they probably do a better job most of the time. But this was just this my, my, inexcusable. This was inexcusable. This was absolutely inexcusable. And so after, as soon as he gets out of prison, he hooks up with Jack. Who is not, who is experimenting sexually online, not out to his family. Bi-curious. He's bi-curious. That's how he describes himself in his profiles and that's how they mean. Okay, so that's, we've recovered all of the victims. I think the thing that was interesting about this uh, series as well is that it was made later than the documentary we watched and so the title cards at the end got an update. Um... So while the investigation, I believe, into the failures of the police department was ongoing, by the time of this movie, it was complete. And nobody was even fired. In fact, five people Uh had been promoted. Promoted. None of them had even been disciplined. None of the officers involved in any of the investigations had been formally disciplined. And and mind you, when this case came to the attention of the higher-ups at the Metropolitan Police Authority, they took it away from the local cops in Barking and gave it to a special homicide division which brought it to trial and eventually and in the in the series they're depicted as the white knights here they're better looking they wear better clothes they wear they're paid <laughs> by better actors they're, they're played by better actors it was it was it was just know, yeah it very, was it was really funny but the, and it included the scene that is becoming a staple in um I I guess in movies and 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 television series both overseas and here in the United States where 
the woman who is the first one depicted, the lead woman in the story, mm-hmm. has somebody from the police actually say to her, Susan, you were right about everything. Yeah, you were right about everything. Because it's what you want to hear when you're in that situation. Right? Somebody's gaslit you the, about the death of murder of your son. It's like, my God. But yeah. and it, The first time I ever heard it was on uh, Girl on a Train. The Girl on a Train. Different context. The Girl on a Train is a very different uh, story. But Allison Janney is the police yeah. investigator yeah. who says to her, Kathleen, Kathleen was right about right, everything or whatever right her name was. Right, yeah. Um, so you started talking last week about an aspect of this case and a British aspect of this case that we see a lot on television, the, the idea of the family liaison officer, which right. I don't think we have We here. don't have an equivalent here yeah. in this country, and I think it's too bad if, in fact, <laughs> the, the many – like one of the things I said last week was my familiarity with this particular role, the police li- – the family liaison, right. is entirely from – Broad Church and The Bay, the Bay and right. all of those shows that I have watched. Dramatic shows. Dram- dramatizations, yeah. but they're scripted television shows about tragedies that involve families. And so they right. assign a police officer to interact with the family, to get to know them, to both deepen the investigation, but also to be there to support the family and mm-hmm. even advocate for them um, in some cases. It's, it is, it's a really interesting... And I would think, if it's true, a very challenging job. And let's, I know we have some British party people out there, some UK party people. Is it true? Right. To come to the Facebook page. Is this true? Is, or is this a romanticized depiction of have, a, of we a just functionary with police departments who just calls and says, yes, your loved one's dead. I'm so very sorry. Later. Yeah, because like yeah. that's kind of what the guy did in this case. Horrible. The family liaison was yeah. the worst, never saw the families, didn't know what they looked like, didn't do anything to support them or and you know answer their questions, was never available, never returned their calls, was just the worst. So if that's truly the family... The family liaison officer tradition in Britain, then, yeah, as we pointed out last week, we they could save a lot of money by no longer funding that job. But I'm hoping that the the fictional version is closer to the truth because that would really be mm-hmm. an enormous advance in both victims' rights and in policing. I just think that's – and I think the British oftentimes lead the way. Like, yeah. it is – one of the things that I find the most admirable is that – Confessing in a uh, at the in a uh, an interrogation is not proof there. That's mm-hmm. not final. Like the police still have to prove the case because right. in in this country, one it is I think a huge problem. A huge problem. I, I don't understand why, but people they get people into that vulnerable people in mm-hmm. that environment and they browbeat and threaten them until they eventually confess to things they did not do and Just then to get out of that fucking and then room. the investigation yeah. stops because right. the inve- because the confession on its on the face of it is enough Mm-hmm. for a conviction in this country. And I think that's stupid. Mm-hmm. I think you should actually have to prove your case. And right. I realize, you know, the level of crime here is pretty high, and so it would probably be more expensive to actually have to invest cases in tough shit. Mm-hmm. I think it would be worth it because I think sending innocent people to jail and not doing your job because you're just a bully and can convince people to confess. So that was one of the things I heard about British policing, which I was like, good. Mm-hmm. That is really an advance. And there's a lot of elements like that that I find compelling. Again, a lot of my experience is through television programming, but 
television programming has the chance of being informative, although... It does, it does. It depends on the program. Let me ask you this to go on, go into the TV side of this. You yes, said you are far more uh, well-versed in the, in the British... I like British television, but you really like I British really, television. I really, really like... Who were the biggest names in this? There was... Uh, Stephen Merchant plays Stephen Port. He gives an incredible performance. And he Just is a terrifying really performance. A, he is really a big deal. Is he? Yes, okay. He is really... He's... That's... Ricky Gervais' partner. Oh. So he's at that level. Okay. Um, Leanne Best, I know of. Leanne Best. And was one of my favorite people in the whole show. She played the uh, the best friend. She played Susan's best friend or... or Sarah's uh, best friend. Or is Sarah. It, or is it, okay. She is the uh, female detective in Young Wallander on Netflix, which ultimately did not work for me as a show, but she Terrible did a great show. job. But she she was wonderful. Job. That was just... That show was a train wreck, but... Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, great idea. Just didn't what you call it. Um, Samuel Barnett um, did the uh, oh, what was the name of it? John, oh, that crazy show that he did with Elijah Woods. I can't click on him here. Uh, just to say, Samuel Barnett plays the neighbor of Stephen Port, Ryan Edwards, who eventually tries to report him to the police and is initially waylaid and and goes a bit same, but and also looked exactly fucking like him, like I it was the best. Really dead did on it casting. was a dead on casting kind yeah. of thing, and Stephen did a pretty good job. Although the anyway, um, anyway. but yeah, Samuel is um, somebody I'm very familiar with um, as a. Uh, Okay, you know, I didn't mean to put you on the spot the here. Fa- the <laughs> father, um, Daniel's father, um, is somebody that I'm very familiar with. Um, oh, did he, I, I cut him was, off? I, I don't think, think I included on, him. Yeah, he's not included. I'm sorry. He's in um, the Bay. Um, oh yeah, no, he's the he's the head grumpy head head motherfucker in charge in the Bay. The Absolutely. Bay, and maybe also uh, Loch Ness. Okay. Uh, Rufus Jones, who plays John Pape, that's the uh, Gabriel's initial housemate before uh, Gabriel ends up falling into the clutches of Stephen Port. Rufus Jones played Teddy Roosevelt on a docu series uh, that was made here in America, <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't put it, I couldn't add it up because I didn't know he had a British accent because I had seen him as this right. archetypal American president in this other series. But I went to IMDb and looked uh, it the, up. the the terrible, terrible. Uh, Family liaison officer. Yes, DC Slaymaker. Everything. Everything. Michael Gibson. He's in yes. Absolutely everything. Like, I'm I'm just scrolling down to sort of get a a, a general uh, Daniel Ryan. For uh, it was the one that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you've gone to the actual IMDb. I went page. to the actual IMDb because, because my screen cap is inadequate. My well, shown... it just it just. You know, it's just it, it's trimmed. Um, Ian Paulson Davies, mm-hmm. uh, Milo Towney. Where's that guy who does that that interrogation? Who I was like, wow, who is that? Rupert Hill. I it just there's a lot of familiar faces. A sizable, yeah. very familiar group, which led me to believe that this had become an advocacy project for a lot of them because it was such a a tale of yes. police incompetence and 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 uh, failure. And and I'll tell you what what startled me about that. I didn't know that because I knew this case as the the gay serial the contemporary gay serial killing case that gay podcasters were all talking about. <laughs> I don't mean to be that reductive about it. And so I sort of thought, oh, that's horrible, and we'll do it when we get 
when we have time to do it. But then the series, The Barking Murders, came out, and I thought, wow, this has really made a mark on the British consciousness that it's getting its own series. And I and tend to think why. that's why, that people yeah. were like, because it brought out a more, a much more high-end cast. I just assumed either they got a lot of funding, but Britbox yeah. is not known for, like, just throwing money around. <laughs> so I didn't really have that. What have been some of your disappointing? I have to admit, I have been a sponsor. I have been sponsored at, by Acorn. I have done sponsored posts by Acorn, which is like the rival British subscription streaming TV service. It's not BritBox. But both of them are clearly looking for bargains. <laughs> and I'm not complaining because I watch most of those bargains right. and I love them just fine. Right. But yeah, they're they are not going. They are not the Apple TV of. <laughs> Uh, television productions. They're not, you know, starting at the top and casting Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston as murder in suburbia. Uh, right. You know what I mean? They're just not doing that, which is part of their secret. It gets a lot of uh, content on the air, and it's stuff that I love. That's I'm, great. I'm a big fan of both of those particular outlets. Uh, um, Whitstable Pearl. I can't wait for more Whitstable, Whitstable Pearl. Whitstable Pearl is great. We, no. we could do a whole podcast just about British television. We really should. We really should. We did one about Murder, She Wrote, which I also uh, well no we're talking about an episode you're talking about I'm talking about a whole fucking podcast I we know. could do mo- just British television I, absolutely drowning in British television terrible title we'll keep working on it we'll work we'll we'll workshop some stuff we'll get a focus group in here but yeah um, I am a huge fan and watch just about every murder mystery thing they ever produce right also a lot of Australian content New Zealand and Australian broken wood mysteries and I'm watching one now called. At least in this country, and I'm tending to think that it may be a case like this one because I couldn't find I'm people on a, a finger pointed. The IMDb at me. thing was not very yes. comprehensive, and so maybe there's oh, another name for it. Multiple titles, yeah. right? But I think it's called Jordy and Joan or mm. oh, Darby, yeah. Darby and Joan. Yeah, is this about the person who fakes their own death? I hope it didn't spoil anything. I'm looking anything. at Christopher like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, there's an. I saw a promo for one that's about a real case out of the UK that looks contemporary. This is not real. That's not it. Okay. This is a, this is a, this is um, Brian Brown from FX from oh, that old wonderful right. movie and uh, Greta Sachi. Is that the, am I calling the right name? I or don't am I, know. It's the wrong Sachi. I don't know. It's the one who was in, um, uh, Emma. I'm sorry. I just think The Wrong Saatchi would be a great title for something. The Wrong Saatchi. Like a remake of a screwball 70s comedy. It's like famous. It's actors that used to be famous or more famous than they are now. I still kind of know who they are, except I can't remember if I'm calling the woman's name right. Anyway, they're an older couple. They actually meet through misadventure in the outback in Australia and Mm. driving across the country in her Winnebago, solving crimes as they investigate her their own mystery. Oh, there is some okay. overwhelming mystery about her husband, but yeah, I don't think there's any real. Okay, this is so not the show that I'm talking. The show that I was talking about, somebody um, kayaks out off of a bleak British coastline to fake their own drowning, and that's what I saw. And it's in the commercial, so I'm not spoiling anything or whatever. Listen, Eric Shawquin, and I haven't seen it. Eric Shawquin, I'll send you the link if I can find. I'm I'm ve- I'm a very good friend. You don't do Instagram a lot, and I get a lot of ads on Instagrams for shows that are like what Eric wants right now, and I send you that link all the time. And so I keep you posted. And I get right in there. Listen, yeah, 
we got stuff coming up, but it's we're going to take a little break from crime. That's what's going to happen. Well, on the next we did two a episodes. lot of crime we the did last a lot two episodes. Of crime. And uh, yeah, if there's still a police department in um, <laughs> Dagenham Barking, don't go there to report a crime. That's our advice <laughs> don't because go there. apparently the Met was not capable of disciplining or fixing the problem. They just thought that everybody should be promoted. Uh-huh. Um, and judging from this particular case, nobody should ever go there to report a crime again. Go over to um, Hampstead Heath or somewhere. Yeah, There's absolutely. a lot of rich people. Or just people. go to Twitter. They'll, they'll be doing do a better job does. of investigating. Report crimes on Twitter. Is okay. So next week we're having a release party for my new Sapphire Cove book. What's it called? Sapphire Spring. When does it launch? In like two days on September 6th. It's available for sale. September 6th. September Can 6th. Can people advance order it now? Oh, yeah. It's been up for pre-order for uh, months. So pre-order yeah, that motherfucker. Pre-order that motherfucker. And I want to say this because it's- And run- this, is, this is the continuing gay romance series, That's right? That's right. Absolutely. And I will say this. Um, each book stands by itself. So if you want to hop on the series at this point, you don't need to go back and read the first one. That's the whole appeal of this type of series. The first one's really good. You should read Thank that you. one, too. I, and I, hopefully, if you like whatever you read, you buy all of it, because there's going to be a third one in March of 2023. So it just keeps coming. So much romance. So romantic. So, and it's all boys, because I've done other kinds of romance. The C. Travis Rice books are all boys loving on other boys. Man That's on it, man. all the time. Male, it's- male. Just, just so yeah. romantic and so male, 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 so male, male, romantic, male, male. so and all male, about male. boys. So, what's the third book called? Uh, Sapphire Storm. And when will people be able to order that one? That's already up for pre-order. So you can pre-order Sapphire Storms too, so they Absolutely. could order all the books from the series right now. They don't Absolutely. have to even wait till the sixth, and they could start reading. Yes, they could the first one, so that by the time the second one is out, they would be already be totally caught up. So Absolutely. See? see, see how that works. It's all it's and it's all Sapphire there. Cove is a resort in Orange County, right? That's correct. Absolutely, it's a resort in Orange County where men. Really the shame that blocked their heart's desires. It's not technically a gay resort, but it's run by a lot of gay people and a diverse cross-section of As gay people. As are all resorts. As everywhere. are all resorts. It was very believable. There's one of the most unbelievable things about uh, the Vanderpump Rules thing was that she runs a restaurant in West Hollywood and there were no gay people. Oh, I was God. like, yeah. there's no restaurant in West Hollywood where the, no gay people work there. I just think all that stuff That just doesn't make sense. But we we did a special thing. We did, I'm not just going to talk about my book for an hour. Um... Although I could, if you let oh, me. Oh, my God, you have. The the story, uh, it's, it's Nasser's story, who is Connor's best friend in the first book. And he is reunited with his gorgeous former high school bully. And so we, and it is about how they reconcile. So we asked you on the Facebook page, uh, if you endured high school bullying, is there anything, what would your bully need to say or do today to make up for the way they treated you during those years? And we got a lot of interesting answers, which we're going to discuss oh, next week. So it's going to be a, 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 both your book launch discussion yeah. and we're going to talk about bullying. Absolutely. Oh, well, that sounds... We got a lot to do. Yeah, a lot to we talk a lot about. To do. There. We better go rest. We All right rest. then. All well, right. we better wrap this up then. <laughs> Shut the fuck up and end this episode <laughs> before we just do the whole next episode at the end. I of I was this gonna one. say. I think he's gonna start doing the other episode <laughs> I, now. I, sometimes it's like we've had Earl Grey enemas up in here. Uh, <laughs> until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite the note to end on. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. <laughs> and you've been listening to TDPS presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks.
This is TDPS.